Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truths, talking about God's love today. That's always an encouraging thing. Great way to get the week started out. We're in Jeremiah chapter 31, and we're looking at uh, verse number 4, talking about the everlasting, unchanging, unfailing, immutable love of God. That's a great top topic. And God's love has a purpose for us. Because God loves us, he wants to he wants the best for us. Uh, and my good and his glory are not mutually exclusive. Think about your own children. You love them with that fatherly or that motherly love, that love that does not change, that love that is uh, so deep that it cannot be wrested away. So so God loves us in a much more a much more impactful and deep way. So what what is love's goal? Well look at verse number four, where the Lord says, again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel, thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets or your, your tambourines and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. So God is speaking of a restored people. One day Israel will be restored. That day is coming. Remember the time of Jacob's trouble that must come first. We talked about Daniel's 70th week. We talk about the tribulation period, especially the horrific second half of the tribulation period. But finally, the return of Christ to this earth and and Israel that finally sees the one whom they have pierced and they turn back to him. A restored Israel in the fact that they've been restored to the land now is a restored Israel in the fact that they believe on Messiah and God has great plans for them. I will build you again. All the rubble, all the ruin, all the chastisement, all the heartache of having rejected me and the onslaught of the enemies round about you and the fear in which you have lived, all of that will go away. And you will no longer fear, you will dance. You will no longer live in uh, depression, but you'll live in, in, in merriment and in happiness. You'll no longer be torn down and live in rubble or live in fear and hiding places, but you'll be built again, built not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. I will build you. Why? Because God is a builder and his chief building material is the heart of people. He wants to build his children. And the Bible says in verse number five, thou shalt yet plant vines, God saying to his people, thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. It's been my privilege to be in the mountains of Samaria. If you ever go to Israel, there is a central ridge, a central mountain range. And most of that mountain range, the mountains of Samaria, are in a place today, politically, geopolitically, called West Bank. 
And so on trips to Israel, you're not really able to go to the mountains of Samaria. Now, I have gone to the mountains of Samaria and visited places like uh, like Shiloh that, that's located in the mountains of Samaria or places like Shechem, which is in the valley of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And I've stood there. And what the Lord is saying here is there's coming a day when the mountains of Samaria, that vine shall grow there because the, there, even today you can see there's there's a terraces up on the mountains where they plant and they plant vineyards and they plant other kinds of crops. And the Bible says, the planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. This will be ordinary food. Things will be back to agricultural normal in these days. A simple life of enjoying the land that God has given, a simple life of eating the food that God has blessed to come from that land, those days will return even in the mountains of Samaria. Now understand, when Jeremiah said this, the mountains of Samaria were part of the northern tribe of Israel that's already been wiped out. A uh, hundred years before Jeremiah, the northern tribe was wiped, the northern, northern tribes were wiped out, the nation of Israel. So what a prophecy God is saying, I'm going to bring this nation back. I'm going to bring this land back. I'm going to bring this people back. I'm going to bring prosperity back. And we're going to see that. We are seeing that to a degree even today in Israel and parts of Israel. There's been a huge regathering, especially after nationhood was established in 1948. But it's not a total regathering. It's an incomplete regathering to the, to the land that God promised Abraham and to his children. It's an incomplete gathering. Why? Because not all Jews are there yet, and not all the land has been claimed yet. But there's coming a day of total regathering. And there's coming a day when that regathering will be the regathering not just of people to a place, but people to a heart for God and for Messiah and for righteousness. That day is coming. Look at verse number six. For there shall be a day, I love that language, verse six, for there shall be a day that the watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, arise ye and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. Now think about just that promise. First of all, Ephraim often is a metonymy in the Bible for Israel, for the Northern tribe. Why? Because the, the widest part of the inheritance in the northern kingdom was Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. So Ephraim was a name often used for Israel, but I don't think it's by accident. As a matter of fact, I know it's not by accident because it's in the word of God, but Ephraim also represents the the, the turning away, uh, the rebellion of that northern tribe. But Ephraim, again, will his heart will turn back to God. And even these northern tribes, this northern kingdom, which for so many years now, in Jeremiah's day, for 300 years, they've already been gone. Even when they were a nation, before they were obliterated by the Assyrians, uh, the northern kingdom wasn't worshiping God. They weren't coming down to Jerusalem. They weren't worshiping there. Remember Jeroboam, the first king of the divided northern kingdom, how insecure he was, how he set up idols in that golden calf in Bethel, which was the lower part of the northern kingdom, and then in Dan, which was in the northern part of the northern kingdom, as if to say, we're not going to go worship God in Jerusalem. He was afraid. 
If my people go worship God in Jerusalem, then their hearts are going to turn toward the southern kingdom and I'll lose my kingdom. I mean, he was just insecure. But from that day, they never participated in the worship of God in Jerusalem. So for Jeremiah to prophesy this when he did in the late 500s BC, that would be amazing even in those days because for 350 years, uh, they have not been worshiping God. That's older than our nation, the United States. But what God is saying is in the future, when the Lord comes back and when the kingdom is being set up in Jerusalem, there's coming a day when worship will be restored to Jerusalem. And not only will all of Israel worship in Jerusalem, the southern tribe, the northern tribes, all the tribes, but the whole world will come to Jerusalem at least once a year to worship King Jesus at that place. So these are wonderful days that Jeremiah is prophesying here in Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse number seven, for thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. I love that. Sing you, sing with the gladness for Jacob, shout among the chief of the nations. So the praise that ought to be offered and the joy that ought to be exemplified during this day is not just reserved for this small nation, Israel, relatively small, but for all the nations of the world. Why? Because the millennial reign of Jesus Christ will be a time when all nations will understand who Jesus is. Well, all nations will see him ruling and reigning when you and I, as New Testament saints, will rule and reign with him. And so this is a time for not just national rejoicing on the part of Israel, but international praise, international rejoicing. Why? Because God has kept his promises. He has saved his people. Look at verse number eight. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the coast of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together. So a woman that has a little infant, a woman that still is pregnant but is traveling, uh, handicapped people, a great company shall return thither. Well, what is this a reference to? It's a reference to the final regathering of God's people to Jerusalem. Now you say, well, Kurt, I thought that... Israel has been regathered. And in a sense, she has. We can look at the independence of Israel as a nation state in 1948. We can look over the last 75 years and see the blessings of Israel and the growth of Israel now. Millions of people that live there, I think 8 million people, something like that. And wow, we can certainly see much of prophecy fulfilled, but it's not there yet. Remember, I said a moment ago, the regathering is incomplete. We're going to see the complete gathering here and handicap and the condition of a person's life, like a pregnant woman, it's not going to prevent people. They're going to come back. They're going to come back. Such will be the draw to come to Jerusalem in those days. It'll be a complete gathering, both physically and spiritually, because people will have a heart for God. They will have a belief in Messiah. And they will gather for the right reasons, not just because it's better politically or because I have some nationalistic pride or any of the reasons why Jews are regathering to Israel today, 
but it will be the best of motives. It'll be the purest of reasons to come back and gather among God's people with Messiah ruling and reigning. Verse number nine, they shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them. So God is leading this regathering, but the people that are coming are weeping. Now, why are they weeping? The Bible says, I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Now, I'm going to come back to that term uh, next episode, but here's what I want to say right now before we stop for today. And that is when the people of God, the, the Jewish people finally come back, finally to, go, to, to that nation, to Jerusalem, to sit under the rightful authority of the Messiah, they will come back with, with weeping. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, they'll come back with mourning. They'll mourn as if they lost their oldest son. Why? Because they will have realized at that point that we slew the Messiah. We didn't recognize him. We rejected him. And they will feel sorrow, a repentant sorrow for having missed the Messiah, for having rejected the Messiah. And that, that, that weeping will be for a, for, for a moment. Uh, God will wipe away those tears, but there will be a, a heartfelt grief for what they have done, their participation in the rejection of the crucifixion of the Messiah himself. So what a day that will be. Someone ought to write a song with that title. What a day that will be, because it will be a wonderful day. We're going to come back to that term, Ephraim is my firstborn, next episode. But to no time for today, so I'll let you go. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.